0: Where we're going to go today, I do think it's important just, you know, listening to what the Lord wants to say and not just get revved up to accomplish something. You know, we don't want to just get revved up to sing the song set, right? Because you can get caught up in the mechanics of what you're doing and really not allow the Spirit of the Lord to have His way. And so during worship this morning, I just sensed um, the Lord wanted to speak to us a little bit about strongholds. I'm not even really talking about strongholds the way I see it. Um, But I want you to think about this. The Bible says we cast down every vain imagination. You've read this verse of Scripture. And we demolish every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. It's an interesting word, demolish. And it actually is the same word we get, demolition, which makes sense. But to demolish an argument actually uh, gives the fullness of an idea, if you'll think about it. It's of tearing something down that previously existed to put something else in its place. That's a really important part it's not just tearing things down it's not just removing its displacing you know if you look at your you know New Year's resolutions or uh, we do New Year's revelation here and so it's a little different mix but but resolutions are fine but but the truth is you accomplish more in making your New Year's resolutions and keeping them not if you just try not to do something you shouldn't but if you do something you should in the place of something you should not it's the same concept And so God's not just trying to like extract the stuff you shouldn't do. He's trying to introduce you to what you should. And this is what I've learned. If we focus on what we should do, we really don't have time to do what we shouldn't. The Bible says it this way. So I say, live by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so many times in religious circles, what we do is we try not to do the bad. Don't do the bad. I'm gonna, you know, let's try to don't do the bad stuff. Just really devote yourself to what is good. Devote yourself to what is God, and it just reforms your whole perspective. I want you know, I kiss my wife a lot. Do you know why I kiss my wife? So I won't kiss yours. It's really important that you do what you should do a bunch. And then it will keep you from doing what you should not do. So today, we're going to kind of address and I believe dismantle some ideas. I'm going I'm to share something with you that I've not really thought before from the perspective of where we're going. I have this nice table I'm going to introduce to you in a few moments Why I have this up here. Um, <clears throat> but I, just feel, I feel the Lord wants to dismantle some things and address some things, maybe on a deeper level, within every single one of us to understand more of what He has in mind. This is just about Jesus, isn't it? It is just about Jesus. It's all about what's important to him. Let that be important to us. So what we're doing is walking through for five weeks Uh, what our five central ideas are that we've taken a look over the years, what's God revealing more consistently for us and those are the things that we try to kind of camp around and listen to what God's wanting to do. Our objective is if you spend any amount of time around this church family then we'll all be with Jesus and become more outrageously loving people first and foremost, right? So that's week one, core value number one we are, uh, I think we've got it for the screen, you can say it with me if you would, we are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. It's not just some mantra that we say, but that really does shape what we believe God has stirred deep within our hearts as tools of discipleship. First and foremost, love. But he didn't love us Back, he loved us first, and our response determines his reach. That's why we passionately pursue God. That's why our response determines his reach in terms of his word. How many believe in the power of God's word? And so, what we want to do when we gather and we begin to talk about God's word, we allow our response to awaken God's reach. And when I'm declaring, Let there be household salvation, you and your house be saved. Then you say, amen, yes, the promises of God belong to us through our yes, our declaration, our faith. And so I encourage you to interact with God's Word as we're walking this out together as a family. And then we talked last week about what it is not just to learn generosity, but to be irrational about how generous we are. And today, I want you to understand what it is that we truly submit to God's desires, consistently submit to God's desires. Not consistently submit to God's rules, Consistently submit to God's desires. How many of you know God's rules are discovered within his desires? But if we're focusing on his rules rather than his desires, then we get legalistic in our approach. And God wants us to remain relational. And so, it's very important. Rules without relationship will always breed resentment, always breed rebellion. And so, relationship is vitally important, and that's who Jesus is, and that's what he desires for every single one of us. So, let me ask this. How many of you in here parents? Raise your hand if you're parents. How many of you love it when your kids bicker and fight and argue and yell? Uh, how many of you love it when your kids, like, love each other and they do something loving? I mean, it's, like, astonishing. You see your, t- what? You did what? I mean, when you see your child uh, express love, generosity, and all those things to the other child you then are compelled as a parent to make sure they are affirmed that you really value what they just did and you know god in heaven is our heavenly father and we are his children so our love for one another is a really important part of understanding what it is to submit to god's desires and i'm about to make a statement of of of, a very grand statement i mean it's going to be a big one are you ready for this because like you're going to hear it and say that's pretty big but here's the statement Fairly often, I like to rehearse what I believe to be the most significant ministry framework known to man. It's a big statement, isn't it? I believe this is the most significant ministry framework known to man. And it's very simple. It centers around the table. And so, uh, recently I made the statement, and it's such a true statement. We talked about this, and I love to bring it up from time to time because I believe this is such an important element, but there are three things people love to hear you say. Worldwide, every language, every nation, they all love the top three phrases everyone loves to hear, I love you, you're forgiven, let's eat. Those are the three. I love you, you're forgiven, let's eat. And the thing that that really struck me when I read this in this article, I was evaluating that just kind of thinking, you know what, when you ask people what they desire most, what they long for the most, what's yearning deep within them the most, it's the very thing God provided to answer what we're yearning for within ourselves. For God so loved the world, I love you. He sent his son Jesus, you're forgiven. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me, let's eat. I love you. You're forgiven. Let's see. I just want you to understand. You can complicate this any way you want to, but if you really want to understand ministry, if you really want to understand what it is to make a difference in people's lives, it's I love you. You're forgiven. Let's eat. It's that progression. It's that framework. And I, the table is a center, a very central part of that. And so, uh, Daniel Pulliam, Daniel over here on the front row, guy that you never, hardly ever hear in our church services. Uh, Daniel is a wild man, and uh, if you were here yesterday yesterday, man, we had a great time in our workshop for the morning. Uh, this place was packed out with uh, Rhonda Boyle's workshop for us, Strength Finders. And and Daniel and I are both kind of in this section. And she talked about how this small section over here was kind of the loud people. And I was part of that. And uh, and Daniel's part of that. Who else was our loud people in that section? Yes. yeah, All right. And so, oh, hallelujah. Cowbells are going off. And so, uh, as we were over there, just kind of talk, I was just thinking about, you know, most people don't know Daniel's story. And I love to celebrate stories. I love to hear what God's done in people's lives. So Daniel comes from his crazy background. Like, it just makes sense. He's such a crazy guy that he would have such a crazy background. But but Daniel was steeped in the drug culture in his life and strung out in, uh, in places he did not need to be. Came to know Christ. Stepped out of that culture. Began to get a job. Figured out what it was to take responsibility. Walked through drug court. We celebrated graduation of drug court recently with Daniel Pulliam. Come on, we're celebrating and declaring that in agreement with our church family. We're proud of you, Daniel. And so when you walk through that process and you start to learn what it is then to take responsibility, you figure out what it is to actually have a job. And when you have a job, then you start to build a home. And uh, and so we had this big celebration over at Daniel's house, and they had the grill going out in the front. And and you kind of had to wait before you could get in the house, so many of us were there just to come in and see Daniel's new place. And, and, and when I walked in, Daniel said, hey, pastor, let me give you a tour. And he starts taking me around, showing me, you know, the different rooms and the different things in the house. And it was so exciting just seeing progress in a person's life. Man, when Jesus gets involved in your life, it'll transform everything about who you are. One piece at a time, it begins to transform your life. But as I walk through the house, everybody's noticing, oh man, I love your TV. Love, you know, they were noticing all these different things. And you know what I noticed? Off to the side, in the kitchen, not in the main framework of, of walking, I looked over and against the wall, no one was even noticing, but I saw this table right here. And I remember like the tour was going on and I kind of grew distracted by this seemingly insignificant piece of furniture that was off to the side. Nobody was really paying any attention. I doubt anybody told Daniel that day, I really like your table, man. But I did because of what I want to talk to you about today. And when I walked over, I, I just kind of put my hand on it. And, and the sense that I got then is the sense that I get now. This is a significant place. This is a significant place in Daniel's life. This is a significant place to God. This is a significant place for us. And as I stood there, I just put my hands, literally, everybody else had gone on. I just put my hands on the table, and I just said, Lord, when Daniel's communion with you, just let him sense the heart of God. Let him know the Spirit of God just working. I mean, I just began to say, Lord, when he's at this, and so Daniel, a little bit later, we were having this conversation, and I said, I just believe that table's significant, Daniel. And he said, Pastor, He said it more like, Pastor! You know, he's a little louder than I am. (laughs) He said, that's where I have my quiet time. I sit at that table and I read my Bible. That's where we have our Bible studies. We sit at that that, that table and we talk about God's Word. How many of you know the table is a really important part of your life? Proverbially speaking, your table might not look like this, but your table with God is a really important part of your life, and your table with each other. I love you. You're forgiven. Let's eat. Do you know how many of you, uh, you are next to somebody that you are now romantically involved with, and it all began over a meal. Can I just see? It began over a meal. Hold up your hand if your first date was a meal. All right. <laughs> hey, you two guys, stop that. <laughs> Tracy and I, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit at the church and met each other, and then I said, hey, what do you say we go out for a picnic? And she still teases me today because, like, I made the picnic basket. And it was awful. It was, I don't remember what kind of sandwiches it was, but I made her a multitude of sandwiches. She probably wanted a half of one, and I gave her an abundance. And I had, you know, a lot of chips and, you know, all the stuff that she would not let me eat right now in my life. Uh, I was trying to feed that to her in the very beginning. It all began with a meal. In the beginning, it all There was this problem that all started with a meal. In the beginning, Adam and Eve ate a meal that did not include God, and that was a problem. In the end, in the Book of Revelation, it's all going to end with a meal—the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus was always having meals with people. He he, goes—he's always meeting with sinners, and the religious people didn't like it because he was having a meal with people that they would not associate with. He died, rose from the grave, and the first thing we see, he's having a meal, friends. I think the table of the Lord is a pretty important thing for us to understand what God is trying to reveal as we begin to walk this out. So recognize this, uh, our challenge this year as we came into 2019 is that you take a 90-day focus, okay? First 30 days, basically month of January, pay attention to who God has entrusted to your care. The world's a big place and you can't probably impact people in other nations of the world very uh effectively, but there is a five-foot circle that is actually your world. Who is in your five-foot circle that you see every single day, that you are paying attention that God has entrusted those people to your care? So for the first 30 days, we're asking everybody, pray for those people. Hopefully you have names. We took the time to write down who we're praying for, who we see on a regular basis, and you're praying for those names. I took some time this morning just to pray for my names, uh, the people that I am praying for. And then the second 30 days, we're asking you not just to pray for them, because how many of you know faith without work? is and so we need some action in our lives and so what you what you do after you spend 30 days just praying for those people then you spend 30 days putting your love into action by serving those people just find ways to encourage them verbally write notes text text you know whatever whatever you can do you kind of find out what's going on in their lives pray for them let them know that you're there and then the final 30 days after you've prayed for them and you've loved them then you invite them into a deeper place of relationship with you with the goal being to invite them into a deeper place of knowing who Jesus is. How many of you know Jesus is the only reason any of us in this room would be interested in being nice to anybody? I mean, let's just be honest. How many of you would vote Jesus is nicer than you are? See, what we have to do is not try to pretend we're nice on behalf of God, but just die to ourselves so he can be nice through our surrendered available lives. So you pray for people for 30 days, you serve people for 30 days, and then that final 30 of the 90 days, we're inviting them into our lives, inviting them into our faith, inviting them to the table, inviting them to coffee, invite them to church. It'll be just about Easter time. How many of you know that if if the community of believers all over the world would take the first 90 days of 2019, there could be a massive revival awakened in every nation of the world? Imagine what would happen if the church did what we're talking about. So let's don't worry if anybody else is doing it or not. Let's just do what we can do, and let's make a difference and see God's kingdom expand. That is exactly where I want us to go today as we're understanding more of what it is to consistently submit to God's desires as he desires for us to love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god this is so powerful i want to say that again everyone who loves true love how many know there are versions of love anybody here love your meat you're looking forward to getting some of y'all aren't doing this meat thing i know but the 20 those of you doing it like you know i'm ready for my hamburger i had a veggie burger yesterday let me just say second rate okay Uh, And so, uh, you know, I love my meat, I love my dog, I love my jacket, I love a lot of things. We have this crazy word love for so much, but there's a deeper love the Bible tries to take us to, and that's what we're reading about here. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God. That's pretty tough, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. See, he didn't love us back. He loved us first. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let his love awaken something in you. Will you receive that today? Let God's love awaken something in you. I want to talk to you by the power of the Spirit of God. I don't want to give you religious ideas, and hopefully you'll walk out of here motivated to be nice. I want something to be deposited within us today that will take us deeper to the purposes of God, to be more of the people of God He's called us to be. Amen. So be it. Hallelujah. I'm believing. Will you believe with me? There's something supernatural about the ministry of God's Word when we embrace what the Holy Spirit is illuminating deep within our soul. No one has ever seen God, verse 12, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. This table, conversation, connection, communication, communion, all of this comes together. We start to understand what this is really all about. I love it that we find the table in the most holy place. Uh, I'm sorry, in the holy place of the temple of the Lord, just outside the most holy place. This is like common, a common table that's actually sacred. I and mean, you know, it's just like Jesus. Jesus came and was so common that. So many people that saw when Jesus arrived, they missed the profoundly sacred revelation he was expressing into the world. There's something significant about what I'm talking about, something significant about how this functions in our lives, and I want you to try to understand a little bit of this today. The Bible actually says that God will prepare a table where? In the presence of of your enemies. How many of you know it's not that no weapons will be formed against you, it's just that no weapon formed against you will prosper. See see peace doesn't come from no weapons being formed against you. Peace comes from the presence of God when the weapons are formed against you and they will not prosper. They will not take you down, they will not destroy your future, they will not cause you to become anything less. Come on, help me everybody in this room. We're declaring Jesus is Lord, and those enemy territory tactics are broken in the name of Jesus. Come on, ask for me in my house. We're going to serve the Lord. All assignments the enemy tries to bring against me and my children, they're canceled in Jesus' name. He prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. He prepares a table where in the midst of chaos, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of tension, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? We sit down and commune with God and get his opinion about the situation because his opinion matters more than the situation does at hand. God has something to say about whatever it is you face. He's not asking you to do the best you can with all the difficulty that you walk through, he's asking you to let him in and see if he won't kick the door down and knock away where there seems to be no way because that's just the kind of God he is. Now, let me make sure you understand something because I'm I'm trailing towards something. This is where I want to start to tamper a little bit with a perspective that I've not necessarily seen quite to this depth, because right now, every one of us in the room are are tending and we're inclined to process this through an individualistic perspective. And I want you to think about this. He prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. Perhaps communion with each other in times of great pain is actually a weapon against the enemy. How I many know when you go through a difficult time, the easiest thing to do is to run, extract, step back, kind of isolate and exclude and just kind of be by yourself. And it's the last thing you should do. We need each other. I believe there's power in the table. There's power in communion, power in connection. The first table is the table of the Lord, but welcome to the table of the Lord where the family of God gathers together, where we then can be enriched. And when you come to church, your life is enriched, but when you become the church, your world is enriched, and we will change the world when we become an enriched family. So this table is this powerful tool. In fact, uh, studies show, I want to just talk to you about the power of the, the sacred table that is so common. Studies show, let's talk families, let's talk children just for a moment. Studies show that when we as families eat together around the table consistently... Our children are less likely to smoke, drink, do drugs, be depressed, and consider suicide, the more likely they are to do well in school, delay having sex, eat their veggies, learn big words, and know which fork to use. How many believe the table has a powerful place in the life of your home and your family? This is important because we live in a society that doesn't make room for what I'm talking to you about. We live in a society that actually applauds the opposite. The busier you become, the more successful you appear, the more applause you'll receive. And how likely is it in that state, in that frame of mind, that you completely lose everything that's important? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose the things that matter the most? So write it in, if you would, please, on your, on your form, the, on your card. The pattern of the table produces something profound in our lives (laughs) pattern of the table produces something so profound in our lives so we want to consistently submit to God's desire to love each other in such a way that the world is actually astonished by the depth of our love that we have for each other you know that's what the Bible says We know that's what the Bible says, right? I'll point you to the verse in just a moment, but but you do understand the Bible says that we will love each other so much that people around us will see our love for each other. That we actually come to the table of the Lord so readily in great humility, in absolute relationship to each other, patience, kindness, all the things that love is, expressing that, caring for one another's needs, that it will be astonishing to the world around us when they see that kind of love in the church. Now, here's the thing, and this is where I'm driving with this. Individualism tries to separate, and you need to just understand your Christian uh, faith and your church family. Individualism tries to separate your Christian faith and your church family. The idea is, yeah, I come to church so that I can be empowered to go be nice to sinners, I'll go be nice to bad people because I've come to church and I'm empowered to do so. And what happens is then you take this Christian institution of the church and you place it in a zone that's minimized to an empowering place, but not really ever truly family individualism will do that and it produces faulty theology and we never create community the way God desired for us to create. You know that whole thing about love, it's really serious. And so understand this, uh, the Bible says it is our relationship together as a church family. That's your blank, church family. Our relationship together will astonish the world. It's not just about being nice to lost people, it's about being family. Here, Here it is, John 13, a new commandment, I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's have a moment of honesty. How many of you have met hateful religious people? What is going on with that? The world will know us by our love, but for some reason, I mean, when I look at the Bible, I see the blueprint for who we're to be, and then I look at what's been built in our society. I'm just just being transparent, honest. Let's just get honest. When I see the blueprint of Scripture, and then I see the structure that's been built that we call the church in our society, I see a real discrepancy between the blueprint and the structure. I see a group of people that have become so individualized and so isolated in their perspective that they're using the church to, at best, they're using the church to become all God's called them to be. But without the people around you in this room that you've been called to family, you will never be all God's called you to be. I want you to think about a group of people you've identified with. Parents of soccer club, uh, gym rats, you work out together. You know, whatever, your, your workplace, people that you work with. <clears throat> I want you to, to think about those groups of people, those sense of community and I want you to think about the relationship. Have you, have you experienced some sense of chemistry and connection and relationship in those circles, right? Is there really much difference between the love you're experiencing in those circles and the love you're experiencing as a church? I'm tampering quite a bit today, aren't I? Because the Bible actually says there should be a big difference. I mean, I want I want to just look at scripture and do what the Bible says. That's really what I want. When when the, when I was asked to be the pastor of the church, Tracy and I said no. It's not what we do. I mean, I had a business degree, she's a lawyer, you know, we're not going to leave church. But I mean, we'll help. We don't want to do the, we don't want to do that. And then uh, they said, "We'll just cover bases for a while and and then we'll you know, we'll work it out." <laughs> Liars. <laughs> <laughs> And I stood up. Finally, I, I realized they weren't looking for anybody else. I stood up and I said to our congregation, and we were quite a different congregation in that time. There were 70 people that, that uh, had a voice of if I was going to be the pastor or not. And I stood up and, and spoke a message. And I said, listen, I want to talk to you about the five reasons you would never want me to be your pastor. And I, I mean, I went for it. I was trying to talk them out. And I knew. The first the first point that night by the way was change. If I become the pastor, change will be here to stay. We just we're not ever gonna do something because it's what we've done and because what people before us do. I wanna know why we do what we do. I want to know why we have communion. I want to understand that communion actually goes all the way back to when the Israelites were coming out of the bondage of Egypt and there was a a breaking of bread and a shedding of blood of a lamb that was sacrificial and it was a declaration that God does not want us to live in the bondage of the world but be awakened to the truth that a sacrificial lamb must die so that we can come to life and that meal was taking place to set the stage so that one day Jesus would come and continue that tradition and declaration as he said come we're sitting at the table we're having this communion but let me just make one revision that you would understand this cup is my my blood this bread is my body I am the fulfillment of all of that truth and declaration that Jesus is alive he is who he says he is come on let's stand together Is your relationship with the church, hear me, is your relationship with the church different than any other cluster of community that you hang with? Because it should be. We have a different sense of connection. You should be loving in every context, but this is the only context of your life that should astonish the world. You're gonna make a difference everywhere you go. But our context as family, Jesus brought the greatest revelation of family into the world that the world had ever known. He came and he said, this God that we've rehearsed for all these generations, he's not just a God who gave the Ten Commandments, he is a father. He's not just a father, he's an Abba Father, Daddy God. This is a personal connection Jesus began to introduce. He said, this God is not just a father, but these are my brothers and these are my sisters. We are family it's very natural for us to relate to family it's not so natural for us to relate to people that we're not related to and that's the point it's super natural that's the kind of love God's wanting to introduce I don't know how to get from here to there I hope you don't like this this is a real problem in the world we live in we as Christians feel like the world's hope is based on our having all the answers. And if that's the case, we're all in trouble. <laughs> the world's hope is based on understanding God loves all of us. Enough to get right in our business, right where we are. Listen, he loves you so much, he'll come right where you are. And then he loves you even more so he won't leave you there. I don't know how to get fully into what I'm talking about but something in me is gnawing right now saying I believe God's taking us deeper I believe God's taking us deeper come on let's just surrender Lord we acknowledge you are the you are the answer and without you we are lost so help us Lord to be the people you've called us to be as we consistently submit to the desires of God and become the family you desire for us to become. In this house, in this place, as we sense that you're depositing us here, may we devote ourselves to a, a, a revelation of love that moves beyond anything we experience in any other social networking that we have. In Jesus' mighty name, just eyes closed, very specifically as we receive communion today with nobody looking around. If you're here, you say, you know, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. You say, I want to make sure, I I mean, what we're going to do is receive communion. I invite you today. This could be your first communion if you've not given your life to Christ before. But if that's you, you say, I I just want to surrender to Christ. I I don't want to walk out of here the same way I walked in, not really sure, my relationship with Christ. If that's you, slip up your hand. I just want to pray for you. Anybody in the room? Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Just quickly. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. come on let's pray this everybody pray this out loud it's just a real honest prayer say with me Lord Jesus you are the giver of life I don't have it all figured out but you are the way you came you lived you died but you rose from that grave and today you're drawing me deeper I want to go there take me In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come on, let's just thank the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy, so worthy of our praise.